The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Church family, go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 once again. All right, I would love to uh, pray one more time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you guys join me? And Father, um, here we are before you, um, blessed by my brother Jason and my wife Marcy and leading us in song and praise and prayer. And, and now I ask with a hopeful confidence in you, God, that we are ready and prepared in heart and mind Uh, to see Christ. We want to see you, Jesus. You are the radiance of the glory of God the Father, the exact imprint of his nature, and we are desperate to see you, to hear from you. And so I ask you, Father, would you please send your Holy Spirit, for we need you, Holy Spirit, to be operating in us and amongst us and effectively, powerfully, applying your word, that it would penetrate far beyond the surface and work its way into the depths of our being to change us, change us with the truth, the living truth of your word. I ask, please, for this grace, may your hand be upon me as you've entrusted me with this moment now in this time and place to preach your word. Be glorified, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, church family, it's wonderful to see you guys. Wonderful. I am, uh, am I being heard? Okay, I got to check with that first. Am I being heard? I'm recorded? Good. Okay. So I am overwhelmingly delighted to be here with you this morning with a bonus thrill to share God's word from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, my family and I were absent last week, last weekend, I should say rather, for a staycation with my two brothers and their families. It was a dream visit filled with mountain bike adventures each day. And my soul was so refreshed by it. It really was. Uh, two of my nephews, they were sporting their brand new 29-inch dual suspension mountain bikes they saved up two years for, which they were super excited to now revisit these trails around here, where in the past, their previous Dick's Sporting Goods, no offense, Dick, to you, okay, but their previous Dick's Sporting Goods baseline hardtail mountain bikes failed them every time. Absolutely every time. These previous bikes of theirs simply fell apart on every ride, and no joke. Their prior bikes could not handle the level of ridings my nephew, riding, the level of riding my nephews used them for. They were not made for that purpose. We even had one outing where my brother, their dad, brought an extra older bike of theirs. <laughs> As a backup, because of the track record history, by the end of that trip, all three bikes were non-operational. All three of them. So finally, they have these spanking new bikes they saved two years for, and they are, they are ready and perfectly equipped for the purpose to give them the full experience the trails around here have to offer. And they delivered. They totally delivered. And I think I had as much fun watching them, watching the cousins, all of them, not just the two of them, but the cousins riding their bikes as I had riding a bike myself. There was one devastating moment, however, on day two. 
our wives kindly provided us a shuttle ride to the high point of Post Canyon, which was a tremendous gift, giving us fresh legs for the long descent. And upon unloading our bikes, my nephew, Wyatt in particular, he's the one, Wyatt discovered something heartbreaking. A pedal from another bike was touching the swing arm of his spanking brand new bike, which resulted in a soft cluster of scratches, marring his once perfect bike. Oh, I mean, horrible. It's one thing to have scratches occur as a result of some fantastic yard sale crash that somehow you're able to walk away from, right? But ugly scratches that resulted from a transportation mishap occurring only a short time after you have owned it, that's hard to swallow. Like this bike was not, wasn't, it wasn't compromised for its purpose. That actually happened the next day with a flat tire. But, but the, the thing of it was, the thing of it was, it was no longer perfect. It was now marred. And I believe we can all relate to that, right? Something you, you get in your possession that is brand new, like a new vehicle, a new couch, a new bike, even a phone, or even a new home even a new home, and inevitably, so get ready, Jason and Amanda, and get, inevitably, you know, it gets marred from use or mishap. Boy, though, boy, that, that window of time, when it is flawless, spanking new, and being used for its intended purpose, that is a nice sweet spot, isn't it? A super nice sweet spot. Everything functioning perfectly for its intended purpose. And today, God's word gives us a look into that sweet spot in creation. Before it was marred by sin. Everything today in the passage before us is pre-fall. Before Adam and Eve sinned. And therefore, before God brought about the curse as a result of it, which we are still feeling the effects of today. And similar to Wyatt's new bike, prior to its scratches and a flat tire, God's creation was perfect, absolutely perfect, flawless in every way with perfect purpose in its design. And that is our focus this morning. In the generations of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the, he- made the earth and the heavens, stated right there in verse 4, these are the generations. Or you could say, these are the origins of, the course of history of, the account of, in this case, of creation. But we'll see this phrase, these are the generations. We'll see it as we continue through Genesis. Repeated numerous times, speaking of origins of people's race. Okay, we'll see that again. But here, it's speaking about the origins of God's creation of everything that he had made, which had perfect purpose from the beginning. Again, Remember, this is pre-fall. Sin has yet to occur and mar God's perfect created world, which he, God, created for a perfect purpose from the beginning, which is our big idea to grab hold of today. Created for a perfect purpose from the beginning. And there are three origins I aim to give attention to in God's creation that had perfect purpose. Origins which, which sin marred and Christ will restore upon his return. But three perfect origins. The first is the origin of intimacy with God, which is our first point. The origin of intimacy with God. And where do we see this first expressed in the text? 
in the account of God making man. Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Our creator God is intimately involved in the making of us, of mankind who bear his likeness. We are made in the image of God, made male and female by God who took great care and intimate involvement in the process. I mean, these details of God forming us out of the dust, and mind you, yes, Adam did not have a belly button like we do. But if you read Psalm 139, what does David say? Who does have a belly button? You saw my, you saw my, oh, help me out maybe. You saw my inward parts, huh? Inward parts, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He was born of a womb. But David understood that God formed him. He saw his, his form before it had form. His inward parts intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That still happens to each every one of us as we are born. That is, God sees us before we even were in existence. And we see it here in the creation of the first man. Formed out of the dust. Breathed into him the breath of life. Breathing into their nostrils, a breath of life, giving us a living soul, okay? And these details were not necessary. We just saw last week, if he can simply say a word and the creation of the stars and the galaxies, planets, and so forth come into existence at his command, he is more than able to speak his image bearers into existence. But that is not how he chose to do so. At the origin God's perfect purpose in creating man was for intimacy. Intimacy between them to be shared. And hold that thought for a moment. Intimate relation with the God of the universe, the eternal God who dwells in unapproachable light. God's perfect design and purpose for man from the beginning was that he would have intimate relationship with him. God didn't need this. Not even. But in his free pleasure, he delighted to do so. And it began in the very creation of man. It began at the origin. At the origin, and it continues today. Yes, sin has has marred it, Focal attention will be given to that next week when Ben takes us through chapter 3 of Genesis. But even, even now it continues today. Before the consummation of what Christ already accomplished on the cross, before we are living in what we, before we, are living in what we read about in Revelations 21, before then, in the here and now, through faith in Jesus Christ, Intimacy with God is not only possible, but an expected part of the Christian life. And is, good news saints, is bountifully available to us. And why do I say so? So so confidently? Because God says so. I am here, says God. I welcome you as you are. I mean, Jason prayed this morning, the very thing, come with all your burdens. I welcome you, welcome you as you are. If you seek me, three different times in scripture, this promise, if you seek me with all your heart, guess what? I will be found by you. My, one of my favorite promises in the Bible right there. I will be found. If you seek me, you will find me. Behold, Jesus is speaking here in Revelations 3.20. Behold, I, that's Jesus, I stand at the door and knock, knocking at our heart. Open up and seek me. Come in. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, did you hear that? Anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's intimacy with God, readily available to us through faith in Jesus Christ, who promises so, promises so in his word. Which saints, his word 
being all scripture, all of this that we have compiled together? What does it, God's word, scripture tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17? It tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Does anything sound familiar? Yeah, Travis says so. Yes, sure it does. Breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In the first account, the giving of a living soul. And before the fall, all before the fall, and all before man sinned and died spiritually, and therefore, having been given a living soul that God breathed into him, before the fall, man was at that place, we see, alive in relation to God, as it was intended, the perfect purpose from the beginning. But the second account in 2 Timothy, the second account after the fall of man, after Adam sinned and died spiritually, we see once again this life-giving breath of God in his word. God's word is, what does Hebrews 4.12 say? Is living. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Live and active, living and active. I mean, can God's breathed out, inspired word be more explicit in it, in his word being living and active? No. And I'll add life-giving, whereby one may be reborn spiritually to once again have intimacy with God. And that's not me saying it. That's not me saying that. It's once again the living and active word of God that says it. And the two verses prior to that saying, all scripture is breathed out by God, that's verse 16 in 2 Timothy 3. Verse 14 and 15 say this, but as for you, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy here, but it can be applied to each and every one of us. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are, now watch this, saints, which are able to make you wise for what? For salvation. For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do you think that salvation is? It's God bringing us back into that intimate relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's saving work. That's what Christ has done on the cross. We are restored to that place. Let's finish this thought using God's words spoken through Peter, who, inspi- who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to do so. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, addressing the church, as I am doing now, using Peter's words inspired by the Holy, Pier- Holy Spirit. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through, now here it is, born again through the living and abiding word of God. Same phrasing. The living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, Christian, did you hear the undertone promise in there? Did you hear that? All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, as will all flesh is what it's saying, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
Meaning, if you are born again, spiritually made alive in Christ by the imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God, then this new life in Christ is everlasting. Everlasting. It does not fade. It does not wither or fall. It is everlasting. It will never, never fail. In other words, it will never die out. It will never die out. A Christian may feel depleted, may feel wearied and just downcast and busted up and broken down and the like, but that will never change one iota, the reality of being made spiritually alive forever in Christ by his word and thereby able to enjoy wonderful intimacy with God, even when you're depleted, even when you're broken down and just miserable. You can still have that intimacy, intimate relation, active and alive relation with your creator. That was how it was in the beginning. We can have that now. We ought to have that now. Our perfect purpose in this life is to have intimacy with God. To walk closely with him by faith all our days till we are forever with him in heaven. It brings glory to his name in doing so. We enter into this intimacy by spending time in his word. Time in God's breathed scripture, which itself, as promised in Psalm 19.7, revives your soul. That's a promise. God's testament is perfect. It revives the soul. Are you feeling dry? Spend time in his word. Plead with him that very promise to revive your soul from his word. I love pleading God's promises back to him, right? This brings confidence, not a presumption, but a confidence in my prayer for the fact that they are his promises in his word, which he holds in highest regard. I can be confident those prayers are effective prayers, which is another means for intimacy with God. Prayer. Prayer, talk with God and listen to him. Prayer is both. Sometimes, sometimes, I think many times, I just talk too much. You guys are saying obvious, right? Listen, listen to him. We need both. Time needs to be given to both. Where you're just able to be with God and listen as his word is fresh upon your heart and mind. Listen to him and talk to him. And certainly, fellowship with other believers fellowship with other believers, experiencing intimacy with God works largely as his spirit works in and amongst his people who are gathered under his name. So what have we covered so far? Two verses. Verse four and seven. Gulp, right? There's a lot more ahead of us. Take a deep breath. No worries. Much of it will will move through in good stride while retaining the central focus from the text of how we were created for a perfect purpose from the beginning. We saw first of how God's perfect purpose at the origin of creation was for man to have intimacy with God. And we'll see more of this, of this perf- original, this first point. We'll see more of it progress as we move through the text. I love this too. It just, it carries on further into the other original prior to the fall, that sweet spot in God's creation before it was marred by sin This perfect purpose of intimacy with God, it carries into the other original perfect purposes of God's creation. The next being origin of work. Origin of work, the second point. Origin of work. I I recently finished going through Exodus. 
taking the advice of, of Jason, who's, who's stepped out for the moment, of Jason to read through Exodus and Revelations at the same time to see the parallels that exist between them. And I'll have to say, I had no idea what he was talking about. He's not here to say that. And I'm totally joking. <laughs> I'm totally joking. I mean, it was great for the first time I've ever done that. It was great to see these parallels come out. So thank you, Jason. I'll have to tell him later for suggesting it. And it was great. But there was also this one added bonus in doing so. It was a familiar one, but it was, it was refreshed. And it's the account of the making of the tabernacle. So I'm going to turn there. You, you may, if you like, uh, to Exodus 35. You can just listen to this passage found here in Exodus 35, verses 30 through 35. Exodus 35, verses 30 through 35. Listen to this. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholab, Oholab, the son of Ahishmach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver by any sort of workman or skilled designer. These guys were gifted, right? Very pointedly stated there. And yes, this is a special instance. I mean, they are being prepared to make all the elements of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the making of the tent of meeting, and all that it entailed from the very pegs outside that held up the outer court walls to the details in the priestly garments worn, to everything within the tent of meeting as was shown Moses on the mountain. Super detailed. And these guys were specifically equipped by God for this task. So yes, these men were especially equipped by God for this. But, but would this working of God in them be limited to only them? To be given intelligence skill and ability, craftsmanship? Not even. Not even. I firmly believe from Scripture that each and every one of his image bearers, you and me, have waiting to be discovered that which God has equipped them with and the very purpose for it. Our youth here, are coming to discover at various levels their unique giftedness as to the work God is preparing for them. But also, every adult at every stage of life, for you're just not set on one and that's it, but every stage of life, God supplies, <clears throat> God's the, the supply from God of equipping you for usefulness for his namesake his ability to do so is a deep well that never runs dry. I mean, if the Lord should tarry, I pray he equips me with a mighty prayer warrior's heart, that I have great skill and effectiveness just in prayer, that the bulk of the contribution to the building of his kingdom, that he works through me, would come chiefly through fervent prayers continually offered up to him in the time of my old age, that, you know, that I, like in 70 or 80 or 90 or something, 
would be like one of the one, one of the righteous spoken in Psalm 92 verses 12 through 15 who flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon they are planted in the house of the Lord they flourish in the courts of our God they still and listen to this they still bear fruit in old age they are ever full of sap what life is seen there, ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Oh, that my God's report of me at that time of my old age would be such, right? Work. He equips us a deep, endless well of equipping his saints for the work that he calls us to doesn't matter what age you're at. It is to be acknowledged, however, that many who discover their talents and giftedness simply use it for their own personal glory. We see that vastly. Or the other sad outcome is many never apply themselves in the first place and therefore remain in a perpetual state of wasted emptiness and fog. But that was not so in the beginning. That was not so in the beginning. The origin of work really began with God himself who worked six days in creating everything. And what does God say? What does God's word say that he said when he finished each day? looking upon his work that's completed or done that day, God saw that it was good. Another way to put it, that's so satisfying. That's so satisfying. As was work at its origin was. And will one day be again when Christ returns. The kingdom of God where Christ reigns as king and we rule and reign with him will function as a perfect kingdom and we will have our work, our function, our specific role in his kingdom that will be ever so satisfying to us. We're not going to be just hanging on clouds doing nothing. We are going to be a part of a kingdom that is full of life, everlasting, and we are going to have a specific role that we are equipped and placed by God for. In God's grace, we have a glimpse of it now, I'd say. I mean, consider, consider work done that you have thoroughly enjoyed and how satisfying it is, both in the process and in its completion. Examples, Craig and I, and, and likely many others, would say yes and amen to woodcutting. Okay? Yeah, sweat and toil are involved, but oh, so satisfying. I'll get a big smile over there. I'm not alone. It's so satisfying. Gideon, constructing one of his many aviation models to be flight worthy, and the joy and satisfaction it brings to his soul to fly it to the shared glee of many youth here who are running around following it as it's in the air and and diving. So satisfying from start to finish. To some, it may be just tinkering with an engine to get it working at all or maybe even just improve its power. Others may be making online animation videos, composing music. I mean, we can go on. Such things that we are just, we're just drawn to uniquely drawn to and gifted by God for which require time, effort, and thought and are enjoyable from start to finish. Now multiply that times a thousand and you're a little closer to what work was in the garden and what it will be at the consummation of Christ's kingdom. That's how it was always to be and will one day again be created for work as it was intended from the beginning. 
Let's, let's look at the passage. Let's look in the passage to see how this, this comes together. First is by God giving us something to do. Check out verse 5. Let's go ahead and read that together. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Nothing springing up from the ground. No man to work it anyway if it did spring up. There's just nothing to do. Okay, what happens next? Verse 7. God creates man. And oh, check out verse 8. Man needs something to do. Okay then, so the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And what happens next in verse 9? And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Remember verse 5? Nothing had yet sprung up, but now that man is made, made in the image of God, God is a worker, and therefore man created in the image of God is created to work. God provides for him a job. A job he, God, equips man with the ability to do. And note again, this is pre-fall. Pre-fall. Note how delightful this task is. Everything, everything God made to spring up was pleasant to the sight and good for food. You could say that Adam saw it and said, this is good and it tastes good. I mean, this is great. He didn't do a lick of work yet and he's enjoying it, right? Adam saw that it was good. And even then, what God provided for him, it was so satisfying. And this took place here on this earth, okay? This is a real place on this same planet. God made Adam, formed out, who, who was formed out of the earth, and walked on the earth. Verses 10 through 14 provide some details that assure us of this. Minerals we know of today in the names of four rivers. Two of the rivers mentioned in those passages, my daughter even goes, I learned about these in history recently. Like, yes, Tigris and Euphrates exist today. Those rivers are here today. The names of the other two, their names have either been changed or they've, they've dried up. The point is, this was a real place on this earth. When, and when Christ returns to rule and reign for all eternity, it will be here on this earth. When the Bible says new heaven and new earth, it's not some, some distant land in another galaxy, okay? It's this place here, renewed, made new again. The very thing that has taken place in you if you love and follow Christ. The Christian has the first fruits of this new creation by the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's Romans 8.23. Do you hear what I'm saying there? Do you hear what the Bible's saying there? The Spirit of Christ in you, who has awakened you again to be, to be spiritually alive and enjoy intimacy with God, is the first fruits of this new world order Christ will usher in at his return. This place of work God provided for man existed here on earth. And the Lord God, verse 15, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. A very satisfying job for man who was surrounded by God's stuff that was pleasant to the sight and for food. But notice, I want you to notice something here. Notice how restrictive God is. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. I mean, what a miser. I'm totally joking, right? Oh my goodness. 
you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. I mean, what a generous command. And God even adds this, he adds a sweetness in the delivery, right? Surely eat, freely devour, consume to your enjoyment. Wow. And observe also how there is no mention of moving irrigation lines or weeding or pest control or my favorite, or at least in an upside down way, annoying root eating rodents. I can't stand those things that we have to eliminate, right? No mention of that. Nothing of that nature. Just, just take it all in and sight and then as you're hungry, just eat, enjoy the wonderful flavor of it all. Sight and savor as my gift to you as you enjoy the satisfying work I've equipped you with to do in working and keeping it. Wow, what a God. So awesome. The perfect purpose of God's origin of work. God's origin of work for man, whom God continues this progression of intimacy with. This is so cool. For what does God also place in the midst of the garden? It's first mentioned in verse 9, and then again in his command in verse 17. It's none other than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for the purpose to have sincere, real intimacy with God. That's key. Like, just real. Like, this is happening. Intimacy with God. God, knowing what is necessary for this to be happening, following his overwhelmingly generous, permissive command, he then gives a single restrictive command. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. A simple don't do this with an added warning a reason as to why. It wasn't just, don't do this, period. But he, he provides a warning, a warning as to why. In short, what God is saying, for, for man to enter in and engage, to have intimacy, intimate relationship with his creator God, God is simply saying, trust me. He's just saying, just trust me. Enjoy all that I have made and given to you to work and keep. Enjoy it all. And trust me. Trust me. That's foundational in the Christian life. It begins in trusting Christ to be sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins, to wash you and cleanse you and make you whole. It begins there and it continues perpetually to the end. Trust you. It's foundational. Trust in God, which is expressed in abiding obedience to his word. You want to know what, what expressed trusting God is? It's trusting his word, and trusting it means that you believe what he says is what he says to do and to, to believe, and you obey. Trust and obey. It shows that you love God. Like that's where love is just erupting in, is that in that obedience. I mean, first. John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, our intimate love towards God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Another way to state that is you delight to keep it. It's not a, a, a pressure of like, oh, I got to. You delight, you want to, you seek to, and when you don't, you're crushed. 
Okay? They're not burdensome. You loved because you love God. You delight to obey him. Every word of his. Trust is foundational in having intimate relationship with your creator, God. He is putting before you today the same command as he did to the first man. Trust me. Trust is foundational in having intimacy with God. And it also, it also bears crucial significance in our relationship with one another, with fellow image bearers. If trust is, if it's marred between you and God or between image bearers, the relationship is suffering. It is suffering and it will continue to suffer so long as trust is not present until it's restored. Until it's restored, will once again, the, the relationship flourish. Trust bears crucial significance in a relationship to our creator and to our fellow image bearers of God which moves us right into our third and final point today. And that is the origin of marriage. The closest form of relationship between image bearers, between image bearers of God, between a man and a woman. Our third and closing point, the origin of marriage. The first and only time pre-fall where God says that it was not good, right? So he actually says this. It's not good. Where is this? It's verse 18. Verse 18 in chapter 2. Then the, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Not good, meaning not complete. Our God the one true living God is a triune God. Wayne Grudem states it this way. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. This truth is progressively revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. In fact, right away in the opening chapter of Genesis, we are introduced to hints of it in verse 6. Nathan spoke of this last week, of chapter 1, where God says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So, being that God eternally exists as three persons, there existed interpersonal relationships within the God being before creation. That was already, that always existed. You tracking? And so, from the beginning, at the origin of life, God knew that it was not good for man to be alone. That he was incomplete, if so. Thus, we are introduced to God's perfect design and purpose for marriage. The storyline of how this unfolds is so lovely. So lovely, for it involves the other origins in God's created design. It involves our intimacy with God and our work. Another one of Adam's jobs was to what? Was to name every living creature that God had made. Verses 19 and 20 tell us this. God who named Adam, which simply means man or human being, God gave Adam his name, gave Adam, then he gives Adam, God's first image bearer, gave him a similar job. <laughs> now you name all my other creatures. Name all the creatures that I've given you to care for. 
God equips Adam with the wisdom to name every living creature and brings them to Adam. Adam didn't have to go like, get on a horse and round him up. They come to Adam. I like that kind of work. And what, yeah, what a cool job that is, right? Here comes, that's an elk. Oh, that's, that's a deer. They're similar, but they're different. That's a deer. That's way different. That's a bear. Okay? I'm about to get licked all over my face. That's a dog. This animal just snubbed me. That's a cat. <laughs> okay? I mean, how cool is that? That's a lizard. Wow, that is an eagle. That's a raven. I mean, can you guys picture these animals being named anything otherwise? Beautifully named. God gave Adam that ability to give them those names. Such a cool job. So fitting was their names. So fitting was their names. But what doesn't fit is any one of them as a suitable helper for Adam Adam himself. As the end of verse 20 states, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. While Adam was enjoying the work of naming all God's creatures, there is along with it an increasing awareness that none of them line up well to do life together with. And right on par, that's right on par with, with what God in verse 18 already said. It is not good for man to be alone. And therefore, God is going to complete his work by making a helper that is fit for Adam. How does he go about doing it? Intimately. Intimately as he did so with Adam, but also intimately involves Adam. Isn't that neat? He involves Adam in the process as a part of creating her. Let's go ahead and read verses 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is at, la- this at last is bone of my bones and, f- my- and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So much a part of Adam that it is what formulates the name Adam gave her. Woman. Because she was taken out of man. And then... Here, at the origin of life, we have the institute of marriage as designed by God before sin entered and marred his creation. How it was in the beginning and how it is to be till Christ returns. Verses 24 through 25. Let's go ahead and finish our text this morning. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, there is something remarkable here I do not want you to miss. Pre-fall, before sin encroached upon God's creation, we have here before us a foreshadowing of the gospel. How can I say that? Listen to what Paul says in quoting this very verse in Genesis. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. Therefore a man, 
shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's quoting right out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now listen to what follows. Paul says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The union of a husband and wife is a picture of the mystical union between Christ, the groom, and his bride, the church. Beloved, that's the gospel. That's the gospel Paul is speaking of when he is quoting from verse 24 in Genesis 2, which I emphasize again is pre-fall, before sin entered creation. What am I saying here? God, in his sovereignty, knowing that sin would encroach upon his creation, being both creator God and redeemer God, already had as plan A the original plan of redemption of a people for his own possession, to have fellowship, intimacy with God forever, where sin would no longer have dominion, being forever triumphed over in Christ, who is the groom, his church, the bride, Church, hear this clearly. God is not only creator God, but also redeemer God. And our God is unchanging. The same yesterday, today, and forever, forever the same. We see here in the closing of this chapter, we see our creator God shining through also as redeemer God in the origin of marriage, the perfect original institution of marriage, the union between a man and a woman, husband and wife, the glorious mystery of Christ and his church, the gospel, that there is a people God is saving that are united to Christ. Already in the early pages of Scripture, God's plan of salvation is taking shape and coming into view. Next week in chapter 3, we'll see another revealing marker of it, of God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ, who by whom and through whom all that God created with perfect purpose from the beginning will be restored. Let's pray. Father, what what a tremendous, awesome, and glorious God you are. Creator God, all that we see, everything that exists is from you. And even before creation, God, you had in your mind the plan of redemption knowing that sin would encroach and mar your perfect world, you had a plan. What a marvelous plan. What a glorious plan that you have in your grace for those who call upon your name for salvation, Lord Jesus. You, in your grace, have permitted us to be a part of it, to be brought in. Thank you. When we trust you, God, in your saving work. If there is any hint here where there is a a doubt present, where there is trust that is wavering, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken it afresh, that you would give it strength and vitality to be powerfully alive, that we would stand humbly with confidence in the profession of our hope, that you, Lord Jesus, our groom who laid down your life, that we could be brought once again back into that relationship, that intimate relationship with our creator. 
Keep us strong in that hope. We thank you for your word that reminds us of how things once were and how you are making everything right and you are trustworthy in doing so. Oh, how we love you. Oh, how we are loved by you. That is how we love you in the first place. You have given us that love. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, to be, to be working and applying it to great effect. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.